DVD Clutter is recorded on the unceded lands of the Wurundjeri people. We pay our respects to the Elders, past, present and emerging, of the Kulin Nation and to other Indigenous Australians that may be listening. Hi, I'm Paul. And I'm Beth. And this is DVD Clutter. Welcome back to another episode of DVD Clutter, everybody. Um, We are just coming to terms with the fact that we're going back into lockdown and that I will have to teach from home again. Uh, Paul, luckily for you, at your VCE school, you will get to physically go to school. Yes, I mean, I say luckily, but, you know, I guess there is a danger. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. I don't know. I just, I, you know, day by day is how we live Mm. in this world. Mm. Yes, yes. Very mindful of you. Which, I guess, if we are being mindful, we should focus on the task at hand, which is recording another episode of our podcast. Yep. You're listening to the podcast where we combine DVDs and decluttering. One very popular thing that's the zeitgeist at the moment, and one thing that that people forgot about sometime in the mid-2000s. Yeah, maybe late 2000s yeah probably late yeah i feel like streaming didn't kick off until 2010 yeah you're right and um oh maybe even like i think i got netflix in 2015 oh yeah even later yeah i forget that it's 2020 and everything after the year 2000 thing seems like just the other day so yeah much like when this film this was year? released no <laughs> i was looking for the dvd but it's not my dvd it's your dvd show me the dvd so yes we're looking at this dvd that you can't see Ooh, but beck now can that's not the dvd cover that i remember oh yeah that mm. is interesting, oh, um it? for those of you who can't see what paul's showing me which is everyone because this is a audio experience paul is holding up the dvd cover of lars and the real girl starring the beautiful ryan gosling and released in what 2007 i was gonna say 2000 Wow, I'm a genius. Yeah, directed by Craig Gillespie. Also starring Emily Mortimer, Paul Schneider, Kelly Garner, and Patricia Clarkson. Correct. Yeah. So this is your DVD, Paul. Yeah. How do you come across this one? This one was like when I was in, let me think, 2007. I would have been in year 10. So it would have been year 11 when I got it. I was very much into film by then, cinema, paying a lot of attention to Empire Magazine. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and also to whatever was screening at the Nova in Mm, Melbourne. Our local indie cinema. Yeah, probably the only section of, like, the Melbourne papers that I really paid any attention to, probably to, would skip straight to the Nova showtimes. Even though you were living in Ballarat. Yeah, like, it was mainly just to sort of see, I guess, what was on there rather than... Mm. So it's like, if they're selecting it, they must have some kind of artistic merit. Yeah, yeah. And um, this one I'd seen sort of written up in Empire, and uh, this is back when I was just sort of starting to really follow the Oscar race. And obviously this got the screenplay nomination. It did. Yeah. And I think uh, an actor nomination as well for Ryan. Ah. Or did I read that wrong? Maybe it was a Golden Globe he got it for, I thought. That might have been a Golden Globe. Yeah. So... Then, like, you know, obviously I missed it to the Nova because, you know, like, trips to the Nova were just not super common, being from Ballarat. Yeah. And then saw it on DVD in JB Hi-Fi and remember buying it. And I remember watching it with my mum and dad, sort of just being like, you know, we had a night and I was like, oh, let's watch this then. And um, I remember being like, you know, I really enjoyed it, but also like just the sort of shock from both my parents that in that they sort of enjoyed it as well. Like, they very much, because they hadn't, you know, 
read about it or knew much about it at all. That sort of mm. just, as which I think is one of the best things about this movie, and we'll discuss it probably a bit later. That sort of just heard the premise that quickly read out and expected something mm. very different to this sort yeah. of heartwarming but still tragic love story yeah 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 they went in with the um expectations that it was a movie about a lonely man who falls in love with a sex doll and they were like oh not for me yeah i think they weren't expecting to enjoy it and then i hadn't really thought about it a lot since then and then i pulled it out of my dvd collection watching it (laughs) so was that the last time you watched it yeah yeah i i remember Mm, feeling from it um really sort of like happy like it was a really nice movie um Mm. which is hilarious like it's one of the reasons why i picked to watch it because i was going to watch a movie with elizabeth and she was like oh yeah i'm fine with anything just nothing sad and i'm like oh this Mm. one yeah really happy nice i forgot how like heartbreaking especially the start of this movie really is yeah it's quite sad (laughs) yeah um but i mean it's not sad in a leaves you feeling hopeless you know end of the world kind of nothing will ever get better again it's sad in an uplifting way i guess yeah um yeah oh, and especially you know by the end it is i feel genuinely heartwarming and um a good message i guess is a weird weird thing to say about it but um yeah the start it does sort of drop you in in a fairly dark place to an extent yeah yeah it, we'll in, go into that in yeah. a little bit more detail i think when we kind of get into the film yeah um, but shall I do a little plot breakdown for our I, listeners who haven't watched I it? I think that's a good idea. So the film centers around Ryan Gosling as Lars, who is a 27-year-old guy who quite quirky, very introverted, doesn't have many slash any real friends, lives in this really, really small town in northern America. Um, like where, actually? Because I feel like it's so cold that it should be Canada, but... But no, it must just be... Yeah, I'm trying to figure out... I'm reading the back of the DVD here to try and figure out where that is. It's just a really small, cold town. And they say things like, this far north. So I'm assuming it's like, you know, up there in the... Yeah, my US Arctic. geography is pretty shithouse too, so I just want to... Yeah. <laughs> name a state um, that's up there. But then, then it's like, well, then there's Canada... Unless it's in it's the, Alaska. No, I think it's, you know, it's on it's on the cusp, surely. It's not I in mean, Canada. it can't be that cold. I mean... Yeah, I think it's I pretty know, cold there. Is, yeah, but Canada's fine as well. Yeah. I mean, it gets cold. You're the, you're the Canada expert. I'm not going <laughs> to... I did live there, so I know everything about it now. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I think there are um, small towns up north in America where it snows. Yeah, but I get the... I just get the feeling that it's, like, really isolated. Because that that's the feeling that they kind of try and give you it's this really isolated small town in northern america somewhere where it's really freezing anyway we've had enough of a discussion about the geography (laughs) (laughs) i think we'll just leave that one um if you want to know more google it you'll be fine so yeah lars lives in the garage essentially he's got a little setup there in the main house where he grew up his older brother gus and gus's wife karen have moved into the main house um, and you find out later that lars was still living there until their father passed away and then when their father passed away gus moved back with his wife um, and they kind of took over the main house and Lars, it doesn't seem like they kicked him out as such, but Lars moved into the garage. So at the opening of the movie, we essentially see a lot of Karen really trying to engage Lars in the family dynamics, like come over for breakfast, come over for dinner, blah, blah, blah. She wants him to, you know, just engage with them more, 
be a bit more social. She's worried about him, essentially. She keeps on saying to Gus that she's worried about him. And Gus is like, no, he's fine, he's fine. Gus is obviously, he's like pretty stereotypically male, which I think the gender roles is quite an interesting thing to talk about in this film. But Mm. he is very kind of stunted in his emotional intelligence, I guess. And he just doesn't want to even go there. So Karen's definitely the one pushing that kind of emotional connection forward um and gus asks lars to move into the big house um and he says lars says no but you can tell it's not gus asking it's really karen asking through gus so that kind of goes on for quite a while we know that lars has or that's like that's how it's kind of set up that's our orientation um lars has a job he kind of works in a you don't really get to know what the job is but you assume it's something pretty mundane there's a really like boring office he's got a creepy pod mate so someone who sits kind of next to him in his little office space and he the creepy pod mate starts talking to him about these sex dolls these like lifelike sex dolls and lars doesn't seem to he's just like whatever that's like don't show me porn i don't yeah. want to know and then Stop like his business yeah. yep also we're introduced to a girl who also works with lars or a young woman i should say and sings in the choir at the church that lars frequents as well um and she's very clearly got a thing for lars but he's just like shuts down whenever she comes over walks away from her without answering questions like so socially yeah. awkward to the point of being like rude um <laughs> then so that's kind of the setup then we have a little title card that says six weeks later and we find out that Lars has actually ordered himself one of these sex dolls and it gets delivered to his garage so next thing we know he's kind of knocks on his brother's door and he asks his Karen there so his brother and Karen kind of run to the door and he's like oh I've got a visitor and he's like way more extroverted than we've ever seen him he's like kind of happy he's excited they're happy and excited because they think oh my god he's he's met a girl he's met someone then we have this wonderful scene where he brings bianca over to the house and they're having drinks together and bianca's a sex doll and she's sitting on the couch very still and silent and lars is uh, just chatting away to her like it's normal and obviously karen and gus are uh, appropriately shocked that's kind of the basis of the story and then the rest of the story follows their experiences trying to navigate this delusion that lars is having that bianca is a real person he's kind of falling in love with bianca he asks if bianca can sleep in the main house in his mother's old room so there you get the you get the uh, you get the idea that there's no kind of sexual contact between them really yeah. at all yeah um, it that's really kind of made very clear yeah the, the movie like makes it explicit really that this is not yeah. a sexual thing which i yes, think it needs to yeah. do it does need to do that and it needs to set that early on yes which i think it does well without sort of it does it um convincingly but not too heavy-handedly i feel yeah i think so i think the setup of lars's character that he's he doesn't like to touch people he's very church going you know he's he's this very kind of straighty 180 yep. guy yeah and it kind of flows it goes well with his character that he would prefer to you know sleep in separate areas until they're ready to get married or whatever so obviously the gus and karen the brother and the sister-in-law are really worried about him. They take him to this doctor who's also a psychologist. This is where they say, you have to be both a doctor and a psychologist this far up north. Um, oh, sorry, I did look it up. They're in Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Oh, where all the wild girls of Wisconsin are? Who take their tops off? Yeah, that's it. That's <laughs> it. Um, and if you actually looked at the name of the doctor, she was actually Queen Doctor. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. This 
this is a tie-in. This is so unexpected. The Prince yeah. and Me, Lars and the Real Girl, all coming together. Mm-hmm. Crazy. Well, I think it's really misleading to say this far up north when there's a whole fucking other country way above you. Okay, sure. I I do not find that misleading because if you're talking about, I guess, United States of America, it is pretty much almost as far north as you can get. And yeah, still but be in that then country. Canada. Yeah. That's a whole other country above you. <laughs> you can't say this far up north, like it's so far up north. Oh my god, but it's okay, so, so what about pe- so far up north? People in Queensland at the moment would say, we're up north. Yeah, they would say, and we're up north. And they've got countries north. above them. They've got countries above them, but not continents. I mean, you know, that's the same continent. <laughs> like, the continent continues. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I can't be in I can't be in Sydney and go, oh, yeah, you have to be both a doctor and a psychologist this far up north when there's a whole fucking Queensland above me. Oh, I, I, just, I just don't even know how to engage in this. <laughs> well, I... I, I wasn't as clearly as offended as you were. Paul, you know that I need to get outraged about something once per movie. <laughs> no, that's and just And I it. didn't have that much to get outraged by from this movie, so I needed to choose something. Yeah. But still, I still think that's misleading and also very American-centric. It was really weird on the Oscars telecast that year that they actually gave reasons for why scripts didn't win the Oscar and they actually said it didn't win because of that one line. (laughs) They said, it was misleading. We can't give you the Oscar. (laughs) I know you're teasing me, but that should be the case. (laughs) Actually, there's one other thing that it should have lost the screenplay for. Mm. When Lars comes to the door and he's like, he wants to introduce Bianca... And Gus answers and he's like, oh, no, Karen needs to be here to hear this as well. And Gus is like, oh, yeah, I'll get her. She's just doing some prenatal yoga because she's about to have a baby or she's pregnant. Um, and then she comes out from doing her yoga and she's in a button up shirt. And I'm like, mm, I don't think anyone's doing yoga in a button up shirt. Um, so there's two things. No, I don't think that's a screenplay issue, though. That's surely production design slash costuming. Oh, that's true. That was that's a um, communication mm. issue. Between divisions. Yeah. Yeah. Should we get back to the story? Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So, anyway, they take Lars to see this doctor who is also a psychologist because they're in the middle of nowhere. Obviously, Canada doesn't exist. And she turns out to be fucking great. The best doctor ever. And that's... She's played by um, Patricia Clarkson, BT Dubs. And she essentially is just like, look, he's having a delusion. You just have to go along with it. These things kind of have a way of you know, either sticking around if, if they need to or going away if they need to. Um, we just need to accept it. It's it's a way of communicating that he needs something, essentially. Gus is having a really hard time with it. He's just like, no, they're going to make fun of him. Mm. And then Patricia Clarkson goes, you mean they're going to make fun of you? And then he's like, oh, yes, my fragile ego. Anyway, it's great. Yeah. Um, and Karen is much more like accepting. She's like, well, no, we can't go along with it. But then she's like, okay, yes, we'll go along with it. And they do, they're a really loving family. They go to his church group and they explain the situation. They kind of talk to their friends about it. And obviously people are really curious and people kind of have a bit of a joke at the start. Yeah. But eventually the whole community kind of rallies around Lars and around Bianca. And you see Bianca, you know, going to church and going to parties and, and just becoming a part of the community, really accepted in the community. In just a beautiful way. Just, it is just oh, so, so beautiful. Nice. Yeah. 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 And then it gets to this really wonderful kind of tipping point where, you know, you've got Lars kind of being in control of Bianca and being in control of his delusion for so much of the, the movie. And then at a certain point, the community members start going, oh, Lars, Bianca really wants to um, volunteer at the hospital. 
on Thursdays. So, you know, yeah. we'll take her there. So they kind of start co-opting her in a way, I guess. She gets a job. She, <laughs> she like, you know, volunteers at the hospital. She volunteers at the church. She starts really getting involved in the community yeah. through the community members. There's that lovely scene... Um, um, where she's reading to the children at the library and the at the hospital. Oh, oh yeah, sorry, hospital? yeah, yeah. And she's got the tape yeah. player playing. Yeah, I just yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's really cute. Yeah, it's just it's a beautiful kind of tale about acceptance, I guess. And he gets he's frustrated with this because he has dates planned, but he didn't check Bianca's schedule and. She's actually got to go and, you know, do some volunteering work. And he has arguments with her about this. And there's another great scene where one of the community members, um, one of the church members who's really been supportive the whole time, um, has a go at him essentially for saying, like, she's like, she basically says, she's got her own life. You can't control her. She's her own person. She wants to do all these things. You go off to work every day. What do you think she's doing? She can't just wait around for you. And it kind of, it's, it's really heartwarming, but it kind of also tips him into a bit of a like, oh, he's kind of losing, losing hold of his own delusion, I guess, Um, losing control. Yeah. There's a couple other beautiful scenes in there. Like the one where Karen, he gets really angry about it and Karen um, gets angry in response. And they have this massive fight where she kind of yells at him about why, why do you think we're doing this? Why do you think we're taking her in? It's not its not easy to accept someone new. She never talks about Bianca being a delusion, but she says it's not easy accepting someone new. We, um, she, she needs to be lifted in a wheelchair and we take her everywhere. We drive her everywhere. Yeah. Why do you think we do it? It's for you. It's because of you. It's because we love you. It's because the community loves you. And that's a really, really beautiful scene mm-hmm. and played... Yeah, Emily Mortimer. Just I was in tears in in that scene. It was a really beautiful, heartbreaking moment. And then eventually, Lars starts to kind of you see the cogs kind of turning in his head, and and poor old Bianca starts to get quite ill um, until eventually she's unconscious one morning and she has to get rushed to hospital um, via the ambulance. Which this bit I did find a little unbelievable, but I mean the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> We got to suspend our disbelief a certain amount. Yeah. And then she gets rushed to hospital and we figure out that she's, or um, Lars lets us know that she's dying. Then there's a, a little bit longer in which she's kind of getting worse and worse until eventually one day she dies. And yeah, it's also really heartbreaking when she dies. There's a funeral and everyone's there and she has, you know, the the father, pastor. Priest. The leader of the church. He says like some really nice words about Jesus Christ himself. (laughs) Comes down from the heavens. (laughs) Um, But essentially, he talks about how Bianca has changed their lives in all these different ways, and um, that she really loved Lars. It's beautiful because it's really saying we we really love you, Lars. Mm. And then he hooks up with the girl. Yeah. The end. That's it. I should say, yeah, that's kind of the story. But I should, I didn't mention that um, his mum passed away during childbirth when mm. Lars was born. And a lot of his kind of fear and anxieties is stemming from um, that, that, that that had happened, but also that his sister-in-law was now pregnant and that was like triggering for him, I guess. Yeah. And then his father had been in a state of like, it sounds like quite acute depression. Yeah. Yeah. The rest of his life, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I think that's kind of the main flow of the story. Yeah, I think that that covers it all, really. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, watching it again, I loved it again. I really, really enjoyed this film. And in the same way that I guess it probably surprised me a bit the first time, 
in what it was about, even though I knew more, I guess, than my parents who also watched it and were more, I guess, conventionally surprised. All I'd really remembered about this film was just that sort of feeling of, you know, that, that warm feeling. And I, I especially got that sort of from the end. So I guess just because I watch a lot of movies and a lot of movies aren't as clever as this. Yeah. I assumed there'd be bits in it that... um we're going to be bad. Like, I, yeah. yeah, I assumed there's, you know, bits where that people would pick on Lars, yeah. where people would be cruel to him. And I thought they were going to be hard to watch. Um, yeah. But I think part of the genius part of this movie is that it plays on your expectations there and sort of, I think the smartest thing is this movie sort of shows how, you know, like a lot of movies that play on expectations go and do something really shocking or something violent or so out there that it, it gets you. Yeah. Whereas this one, it goes the other way. It does something so kind that, you know, that it, it has the same sort of reaction, but in with a, which with a much nicer outcome, I think. I mean, the scene that I particularly think of is there's a scene where Lars takes Bianca to a work yeah. party and all through that. Yeah, I was nervous in that scene. Yeah, yeah. especially because you've had set up that he's the guy that shows him those the dolls to begin with, the dickhead cubicle mate, as I kept on calling him. Yeah. Like I was sitting there with my wife going, oh, that dickhead cubicle mate's going to say something really like, I was, you know, he's going to say something really gross or yeah. be like, you know, something sexual I, yeah. is what I thought. But he just doesn't. Well, he, well, he, he, do, he says Bianca's a real looker. And like makes a kind of, but but Lars is so in his in, delusion. In love with her, and in yeah. Well, he just doesn't hear. Like there's another there's another scene where Gus essentially just cracks it and is like, she's not, she's a lump of plastic, <laughs> blah blah blah. And Lars just doesn't hear. Like he's got that, he's selective hearing. You know, he's not responding to things that don't fit with his delusion. And that kind of protects us too, as as the audience. Mm. Like yes, these things can are going wrong, or like that. Yes, these things are kind of coming at him. And hitting him but he's not he's just like nope that doesn't fit i'm not paying attention to it and then we kind of get to huddle inside that warm protective delusion as well i guess yeah uh, that's just it uh, you, you you got that completely right but yeah i was glad that there wasn't sort of like a follow-up of him being being gross about it yeah you're right just like the one line she's a looker yeah is enough to have all that yeah exactly but not not make it gross yeah like it you know, and if not, said, not make it for focus. Have you? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, really take the sex out of sex doll. Yeah, which like I'll, I'll quickly just go into one story I found from the special features now because yeah. it sort of applies. But they had a few interviews with the uh, author, different um, sex dolls, the screenwriter. No, um, no. <laughs> well, actually, they did have some you know comical interviews with Bianca. <laughs> um, but Nancy Oliver, who wrote this um is a playwright who also worked on six feet under and true blood which we'll get to eventually yeah I, I had a little bit of a look at her work it seems like she's done some cool stuff a lot with mm. um old mate alan ball yeah the thing that i found really like amazing was that this you know idea just sort of came on her because she found the a sex doll website she was like i've worked a lot of jobs where i just sort of sit around and you know there's a lot of time just to surf the internet so i came across this and this is the idea she comes up with. How amazing, like, <laughs> you know, that is just such a sign, I think, of someone who is a quality writer to do something that is not at all derivative, which would be so easy from sex doll material, you know? Yeah. Even this sort of same story, but with a, a slightly different touch, uh, I guess a less yeah. less caring approach would just be, it would just be shit. It would be, you know, yeah. uh, how gross is it? This guy's got a sex doll, you <laughs> know? Um, yeah. Imagine, yeah. imagine having a brain that goes from seeing, because that site that they use in the film, Real Dolls, 
that's a real site. That's the site where they ordered yeah. Bianca from. Yeah. Like, it actually exists. And imagine seeing that and going, you know what? I'm going to explore community, family, uh, masculinity, um, male relationships in a heartfelt way yep. based on what I've seen yep. on this site. You know? like <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. Well, I mean, I wonder, you think... For me, I guess sex doll is kind of synonymous with loneliness, yeah. and I think that's probably the point that she um, that she went from. I mean, it's not it's not for everyone, I guess. You know, if you're a consenting adult, do what you want. But yeah. for for many, I, our assumptions, I guess, and especially as a woman thinking about um, men ordering sex dolls, it, it seems lonely. It seems like a lonely person behavior, and maybe she went with that and was like, "But what if it's not?" Yeah, look at loneliness. Because loneliness, lo- like the need for contact, like it's the same with sex work. A lot of if you hear, if you listen to sex workers talk about their work, the sex is often the the smallest part of it. It's about connection and it's about contact with other humans and it's about loneliness. And I think that's a big part of of this film of driving this film forwards. Yeah, yeah. Using I guess yeah the sex dollars of advice to really isolate that is an issue. Yeah, and it's it's saying like. Our need for human contact isn't just a carnal urge. It's not just to fulfill this carnal urge. It's about all these other things. And there's that beautiful scene, that really another heartbreaking scene. Every scene we talk about, I'm going to say it's beautiful. But um, the scene where he's in the doctor's office and he asks her if she gets lonely um, because her husband's passed away and she doesn't have any kids. And she says, sometimes I get so lonely, I forget my name and what day it is or something like that. And she just says it very, like, matter-of-fact, but it's that real, that heavy loneliness, I guess. Mm. Um, and I feel for her. She's probably one of the loneliest characters in the film because you don't... You see Lars kind of get swept up in this community and swept up in in love by the end. He's kind of engulfed in love by his community and she um, is separate to the community in a way. She's She's there, but she's not a part of it. And... I guess being a doctor and being a psychologist in a small country town must be so hard because you can't, you hold all these personal secrets. You hold all this kind of personal information. Yeah. I I imagine she would get so lonely. Who can she talk to about that? She can't talk to her community members. And I think the way it's shot with her as well, she's very, she's shot kind of separate to everybody else. There's a scene at the funeral where she's there when, you know, Bianca's being buried and she and Gus have a bit of a moment together, but there's no one else around. You don't see her talking to anyone else. She's always in a professional capacity. And I think, again, the acting, I think the acting across the board in this film is is great. And um, Patricia Clarkson does an, an excellent job of kind of portraying that uh, that duality of, of being this caring professional, but also herself, you know, feeling lonely and, and feeling like um, she doesn't belong or not doesn't belong, but I don't know, separate in some way. Yeah. And well, but I think in what you're sort of saying there too, it also does sort of cross over to the other thing that I think this film really explores, which I guess works hand in hand with loneliness, but is that sense of belonging. Yeah. Because I think all of the characters really want, you know, to belong, not just Lars. Lars obviously wants to and uses Bianca as a way of, I guess, admitting that without having to confront it. You know, there's a million reasons. But also, I really find um, his brother, Paul Schneider's character... Gus, yeah. I think, again, written and acted fantastically in that he... You can see the guilt that he carries for 
not spending enough time with um, Lars yep. previously. And life. he says he left straight away as soon as he got. Yeah, I guess as soon as he finished high school, he was he left, and Lars was still young kid. Yeah. I guess, yeah, you can, but you can also see the struggle within him that he sort of sees himself as this patriarch but doesn't know what to do and doesn't know how to doesn't know how to confront yeah. the reality that it's okay not to know what to do in this situation. Yeah, totally. And you, f- you feel like Lars and him have these kind of similar emotions or they're going through similar experiences of, of being completely lost, but Gus just happens to be able to mask it and, and be socially acceptably lost, I guess, or like, you know, fit in and, um, and kind of get by that way, whereas Lars just wears it all out there and has to say, this is how I'm... This is how I'm grieving. This is how I'm processing. And Gus is very much more of that, what we would probably expect to see in society, you know. And it's not it's not questioned. The way he's grieving is more traditionally masculine and therefore it's more socially acceptable. Mm. Or the way he's, like, dealing with the loss of his parents and the hard way they gr- kind of grow up. Yeah, because, like, I'm, you're right. Both of them, are, yeah, are hiding. Lars mm. in a shed. Gus is hiding probably in a better place, which is, you know, I go to work, I have a wife. plain sight. Yeah. Don't ask any questions sort of thing. And I think just he portrays that without them having to really spell it out too much. Yeah. And and there's more beautiful scenes where he's, um, it's the scene I'm thinking about is where he's telling, or they're kind of, the word has got around at work that his brother's got this sex doll. So they're having, his colleagues are having a bit of a laugh about it. And you can see Gus just like struggling to, to find the joy or to find the funny, you know, he's just like completely, he's self-conscious, he's shut down. He's not, he's so fragile that he can't kind of go, yeah, oh my God, isn't it crazy? My brother's losing it. He's just like, "Mm, mm," you know, like he's just completely almost robotic in the way that he's trying to hold it together and still look like a man. Mm. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I think Gus as a representation of traditional masculinity is, yeah, one of the best things this film does. Even the the way when he first goes and sees um, the doctor and says, okay, how do we fix it? Like that very... Yeah. That very straight line masculine thing of don't acknowledge a problem, but if you do, let's solve it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, what is failure around that? <laughs> you know, like, yeah. Just, yeah. Just excellent. Yeah. And very much balanced by Karen um, playing the very stereotypical female gender role in terms of carrying the emotional the emotional weight or the emotional capacity for the for the couple and being the kind of moral compass i guess for gus in a way um and the support for him and probably the strongest character in Mm. in the film yeah and very always cooking dinner and serving coffee as well yeah yeah (laughs) but yeah you're right the most grounded too the most yeah straddles the line perfectly in that definitely shows that she's again that there's a danger in writing that character i think that it could have been too much one way and her sort of going no, this is completely fine. You know, whatever. Yeah. She really oh, yeah. demonstrates that she is freaked out by the situation because it is a, yeah. it is a freaky situation. But also yeah. is willing to take that risk and support Lars. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Again, with that interview with the screenwriter, they had the actors talking about it and saying that they really wanted to stick incredibly closely to the script because having read the script, like you know, again, it is the DVD features. They are all going to say positive things but they genuinely seemed amazed by like how good the script was when they first received it like that's what they said about printing me too <laughs> that's true two perfect films. <laughs> in saying that um they did talk about that there was improvisation on set and especially a lot of what um ryan gosling says to bianca oh yeah so there's a lot of 
a lot of that dialogue wasn't actually written. A lot, right. um, just sort of like a lot of like little reassuring ones. Yeah. Um, the one that they highlighted was when they're at the doctor and um, the doctor takes Bianca's blood pressure and says it's a little low. Yeah. And he sort of has this little side thing to Bianca being like, it's totally fine. Mine's probably yeah. a bit low too. You know, it's yeah. all like... Yeah. And just the just the occasional ways that he sort of chucks in the occasional like, I love you or, you know, you yeah. look really nice tonight. Yeah. Um, which adds so much to his character and I guess just the niceness of the movie, just the, yeah. that warm feeling. And the and awkwardness the hum- of the movie as well. Yeah, yeah, that's true. What do you do but when thought- your brother's whispering sweet nothings into a sex doll's ear Yeah, in front of you? Uh, but I, I just thought that was, again, um, kudos to him yeah. as an excellent actor. Yeah, totally. His ability to, to add and add in a in a good way to something that he'd already in the rest of the cast had admitted was already at such a good level. Like, yeah. he'd be so anxious of being like, this is very clever. I don't want to fuck it up, you know? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Take it out if yeah. you need to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. I didn't mention, I think, that they got Lars to the doctor by pretending that Bianca was looking a bit sick and thought she needed to go and get checked out. Yeah. Just because of the travel, you know. From arriving from so far away. I mean, kudos to to the brother and sister for thinking on their feet. Well, yeah, for thinking on their feet and for um for not just going, what the fuck is that? You know, like, yeah. Like I don't know what my reaction would be. I think I'd be like, are you joking? Like you know, I'd be like, what are you making? A, are you making a joke? Exactly, because uh, you know, obviously they had to react like that because otherwise the movie goes very dark very quick. But I d- mm. I don't know how I'd react. Like no. Mm, I think they did a great job. Mm. I think, you know, I think after a while we'd react right, but I think at the start I'd be like, are you joking? And then he'd just ignore that for a while and then we'd be like, okay, let's take Bianca to the doctor. And what a doctor. I know, right? What a doctor. Just so lucky. Like, like again, they had this had to go this way <laughs> yeah. for the movie to be the movie it is. <laughs> but I just couldn't help but thinking one in a million. Yeah. What are the chances you're going to get a, a doctor that's, that's, sw- that's switched on? And I guess if she's a psychologist, then I guess that kind of explains a bit more. I kind of... I think I missed... I haven't actually talked about how I came to see this movie because this isn't the first time I've watched it. I think it's probably maybe the third time I've watched it. I don't know. I feel like I've watched it a bunch of times, but there was definitely stuff in here that I had kind of forgotten about because I think I I use it a fair bit in media studies to talk about... um, like mise-en-scene, which is, if you aren't familiar with that word, it essentially means like the placement of people and things within the frame. If you were to take a snapshot of, of a screen and then kind of analyze it like you would analyze a piece of art, it's looking at that and looking at how placement can, how the kind of, the way that things are put together on a screen can convey something deeper. What did someone, someone had a great, I was like, you know, when, when you're teaching, you try and find all these different ways of explaining things to the kids. And someone had a great one that I found somewhere, which was essentially saying that mise-en-scene is like the internal becoming external. Oh, that's great. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's great. It's like all these internal feelings shown externally through costuming and colors and placement of things and people. And Lars and the Real Girl does it really beautifully. So it's a good one to, to show the kids. And it's also a good one to show the kids because it's PG, mm-hmm. right? So I've got free reign pretty much, but also it is kooky and weird and kind of independent-y. I don't know. Is it literally an independent film? I'm not sure. Um, But it's got the indie vibe, you know, and it's a good one for me. I like using it as a bit of a gateway to opening their little minds to, um, to films that aren't 
blockbusters. Yeah, that's great. To be like, hey, you can probably enjoy this film, and it's it's pr- pretty weird, but I think you might like it. Yeah. And I remember a lot of <laughs> a lot of my kids. I think I've said it as um extra as well. Like if I'm going away to a professional development somewhere, I'll I'll leave it for the kids to watch with the CRT teacher. And I remember some of my year 11s at Ararat actually just afterwards just shaking their head and being like, Miss, that was so weird. Why did you Why did you make us watch that? That was so weird. But then I was like, but it was good, right? And they're like, oh, yeah, I guess it was good. I think yeah. they'll love it by now. It just takes a little while for their brains to process. Yeah. And I, I think it's a good one there because it is engaging for all the reasons we sort of talked about before. It does yeah. keep you hooked because you think something's bad's going to happen and something good happens. Which is well, kind of like yeah, uh, that's oversimplifying it. But no, totally, like, no, totally. But I think also it's got the it's got a it's a bit clickbaity, you know. Mm. It's a bit like you know clickbait that says man falls in love with sex doll, <laughs> and then actually it's like this heartfelt heartwarming film, and it's like yeah, haha, tricked you into watching this beautiful film. When you just thought you were going to get something dirty. That's that's such a perfect way of describing this movie. Clickbait. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, without any of the, the negative time. connotations. Like, just, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Surprise, yeah, you feel totally. great. <laughs> <laughs> Joke's on you. <laughs> Have a great day. Yeah. Be nicer um, to people. Good yeah. on you. <laughs> yeah. Those bastards, yeah. they tricked me. They tricked me, but I'm crying tears of joy. Yeah, and I I kind of, I thought it might be a bit cheaper this time watching it, but I've watched it fairly recently, so I I knew what I was in for, and I think I knew that it was still going to hold up. I feel like I've watched it in the last few years, so um, I knew there was nothing terrible in there. Um, Yeah, and like you, I still still really enjoyed it. It was a beautiful film. Mm, um... I can't help wondering, though, what you, like, yeah, I was like, I just think, you know, there's, it's really interesting in terms of mental health wise. There's a lot of if you want, if you're interested, you can go and have a look at um, people writing analyses and analyses analyses of Lars essentially psychoanalyzing him. Lots of different you know opinions about what mental illness he has. But I did kind of think about this film couldn't have happened with a female protagonist because I guess male sex dolls are less common and less wild widely kind of known about but I was thinking about if this was made with it because I you know female writer I always think why why don't you write about women if it's a female writer why aren't you writing and there are some great female characters in there um but I don't think this would maybe it would would this film pass the Bechdel test Bianca has a name I'm trying to think of scenes because a lot of the scenes with two women talking they're talking about Lars still yeah, I mean, there's the scene at the hairdresser where they're talking about her hair. Well, they're talking about Bianca dying at the hairdresser. Yeah. Very briefly. We'd be pushing it, I think. I know. And, look, yeah. So, yeah, mm. I, I just tend to ask that question when I see a female writer, which I should ask that question when I see a male writer as well, because we just yeah. need more female protagonists but, and female-driven films. As is the case that I find a, a lot of the time they come up in the conversations about the other way, and normally a sort of a valid point that's put in a jerky way is that we see someone who's not of minority writing about the experience of a minority and they sort of have an outsider's perspective is the argument is always they've got an outsider's perspective so they can sort of look at it and present this this view but you know it's often pushed that and you kind of go yeah sure as in like as in she she did it because it was more interesting to look at a male problem through a female lens well i i just think that's just because especially re-watching this movie this time i don't i didn't pick up on any of it the, the first time i watched it when i was in year 11 but i just think it's the point that it makes and it's 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 study of masculinity and what that means to people i, I don't think a male writer could do that yeah that's interesting and I, and I think 
that was one of the major themes that I got out of it. And yeah. if, you know, she didn't explicitly discuss that in the DVD special features. Yeah. But if that was something that she was exploring, then yeah, I think, you know, it is sort of crucial to have, to have it be with men. Well, um, yeah, yeah, clearly, yeah. 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 But I do, I'm just advocating for more female-led films. Um, and also, also just questioning whether or not this film would be as successful or we would accept it as readily if it was a female lead. Because I think being, having a straight white male go good looking, I should say a straight white, good looking, skinny male who still dresses well and looks after himself go through quite a, a severe mental illness is more acceptable and more palatable than someone who is overweight, for example, um, a person of colour, um, a person of a different gender or sexuality or a woman. Um, yep. And there's there's a lot of, I mean, part of his, you know, as a, as a in person interested in mental health, I was kind of trying to diagnose him the whole time with my very limited understanding of <laughs> mental health conditions, which is a terrible thing to do and nobody should do it. But he has this thing where he doesn't like to be touched and that reminded me a lot of, you know, autistic kids that we see who have real sensory issues with, with sensation and, and don't like to be touched and and that kind of was a bit like oh women with autism are much less kind of understood and less um explored because they're better at masking it and i just thought it would have been interesting to see how how acceptable would it be to the world to see a, a woman going through this struggle and bringing home a sex doll and i don't know i maybe from that's just this is just my like negative mindset but i don't know if it would be as accepted as, as it is with, with a man, as particularly a, a good-looking, skinny white man. Mm. Um, I did find myself, that was one of the things when I was sort of thinking about it later on, because I was sort of like, what does make you as a viewer accept so quickly that yeah. it, it isn't going to be a it's, not a, it's not a sexual thing, for example, or it's not oh, a, yeah. or that Lars isn't gross. Like, because immediately, yeah. and I know it's, I'm not <laughs> trying to say this about it, anyone who's got a sex doll, but the immediate thing that comes to mind is that's, that's gross. It's perverted. That's, yeah, that's it. And um, yeah. I think part of that is the casting of Ryan Gosling. It makes you as a viewer yeah. much quicker go, oh, he's probably fine. <laughs> yeah, he's sweet. But, but I, yeah, and I think his body shape and the way he, he looks is a real part of that. I feel like we're a very fat phobic society. And just going back to when we're talking about the, um, the roommate in Prince and me who they cast as this someone who is very messy and very disgusting and probably a bit perverted and he, they cast him as this fat guy and so our world we're so fat phobic in in our society that we you know fat becomes synonymous with bad and if you had a fat actor playing the character of Lars I don't think the world would social would accept that as readily and I don't think the society in which Lars was would accept that as readily and I wonder if the same would go for it being a woman as well mm. in terms of you know if a woman is doing that that's even more perverted because we know that guys are I don't know it's more acceptable for guys to be lonely I guess because women are more socially connected you know we're, we're more inclined apparently more inclined to to want to be with other women or other people yeah so I think there are some issues there in terms of the not that the casting was bad but I think we accept it so readily and it and it is so it fits our ideas of who is good and who is bad it fits that very social norm of who is good and who is bad and so we accept it so readily because we're completely brainwashed by white supremacy and male supremacy and the equating skinniness to goodness all that stuff so he kind of fits into this this little pocket that we can go oh yeah good person so we accept that his delusion is is innocent mm. does that yeah. make sense yeah it does yeah so my big takeaway from that was 
Forget Oceans. Forget Ghostbusters. This is the female remake that I want to see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah? Yeah. Let's do it. I don't like any other female remakes. Just write us new films. Um, but this one... <laughs> oh, come watch. on. I thought Oceans 8 was pretty good. I didn't watch it because I hate the idea of it. It's pretty good. I'm sure it's fine, but just write me another movie. Yeah. You should watch that one, though. It's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> just saying. I don't want to. I'd watch that again. I wish I had that on DVD. I'm glad you don't. I've got Ocean's Eleven. Well, I'm trashing it. No, I'm just kidding. Well, that would be a change. Ah! <laughs> Ouch! <laughs> sorry that I question everything, Paul. I'm sorry that I live, I go through life with a critical <laughs> mindset. <laughs> Back yeah. to this film that we seem to be agreeing on mo- on the most part. Oh, yeah, 100%. And I still really liked it, but I just am aware that I liked it so much because it fit into this little, you know, nice yeah. little white skinny world that we're told is the good one. Yeah. There was a couple of people of colour in this film. Not a whole lot. A couple of side characters. Mm. Um, Some of Gus's workmates are the ones that come to mind. Some of Gus's workmates and the receptionist, wherever it is that Lars works, who who hosts a party. The party, yeah. Yeah. Um, And some of her friends. Yeah. And also one mention of a gay grandson. No sightings of any gays or any queers at all. Um, But look, if I was queer and I lived that far north... I'd definitely leave too. Mm, unless you became queer. a I just said, if I was queer. I just said, if I was queer, Paul. Am I coming out as straight? This is going to be the clickbait for this this episode. Beck comes out as straight. Um, it's not happening. No. Um, what other notes do I have on this? Just a bit more about Ryan Gosling. He's fully into that whole acting caper. He lived <laughs> in that um, in that garage. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. By himself. Yeah. Um, for most of it and wouldn't sort of connect with the other cast members. He lived in it until sort of partway through filming where he had this great thing where he was like, he woke up one morning and he heard voices and he was like, oh man, maybe I've taken this whole getting into the character too far. (laughs) And then he started to to really listen to them. And the two sound guys on the roof being like, are we supposed to be rigging this up? Apparently there's like an actor who's in there like asleep. Well, I've got break in an hour. (laughs) <laughs> I'm rigging it up now. <laughs> it, was, it was good, but then yeah. apparently he lived in a in a basement um, by himself still for yeah. the rest of the shoot. You know, yeah, really into it, so into it. Um, I feel he's, like he's such a weird sort of thing that he's so much part of the sort of popular movie going ideal that you just kind of assume he's been a superhero at some stage, but he really hasn't. He's really kept to quite, on the most part, fairly high art. Or close to projects. Yeah, totally. Yeah, he's he's like a poster boy. Mm. Like he's a he's a what's it called? Where everyone what's, he's what's extremely attractive. Yeah, everyone mm. loves him. Like, oh, by the way, folks, when I said high art before too, I did put it in air quotes, quotation marks. Yes. Um, yeah, he's an odd one because he is so everyone loves him. Like, and everyone, he's a hot piece of piece of cake. <laughs> Fuck, I don't know what I'm trying to say. Essentially, he's like a superstar. He's an A-list celebrity, but all of his films... Oh, yeah, now I know what you're talking about, and yeah. I can't think of it either. He's a, yeah. you know, one of those guys. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> and our you know communication I mean. has reached peak terrible. Yeah. <laughs> so you'd think that he had done, like, all these blockbusters, but the biggest one that I can think of him doing... I mean, I know he was famous mm. when he was little for doing, like... Well, nah, he must have done a lot of big ones. What has he done that's been big? So he's done Crazy Stupid Love, I can think of. The Notebook? 
Yeah. yeah. What else? Like, what else is he known for? What's his IMDb known for? La La Land was his other big one. Oh, yeah, mm. La La Land. But that was fairly recent. Like, I um, feel like he was... Yeah. Yeah, it is weird. Because everyone knows him. Everyone's hot for him. But what's he really done? A lot. Mm. But just not, like, big name films. Well, I think we've juiced all we can get out of this. Yeah, I, I agree. Mm. Oh, I did just want to mention the director is an Australian guy, um, Craig Gillespie. Gillespie. Did you know he oh, was wow. Australian? No. Yeah. I would have said Gillespie. Yeah, that'll do. Um, but he also directed I, Tonya, which I quite oh, enjoyed, yeah. and a fair few episodes of The United States of Tara, which I also really enjoyed. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's an Australian guy, so yay, Australia. I know, right? What else did and, he do? Well, did he do anything that, Australian? Not that I could find, um, really. And but he's now doing Cruella, which I'm pretty excited to watch. Oh yeah, very much so. Yeah. Oh, he did the remake of Fright Night too. That's a good one. Is it? Yeah. Oh, I quite liked it. I don't know if it's everyone's cup of tea. <laughs> I don't know what the original was, so I'm not sure. Okay. <laughs> it's what a vampire that? movie. Oh, cool. I love vampires. Mm. Me and Twilight go way back. Brilliant. Mm. Um, right, well, let's finish it up then. Yeah, I think so. You've got a decision to make. Yeah. Maybe it's just because we're going into lockdown again and I'm feeling, you know, overly sentimental. But I feel like I'm going to keep this one. Yeah. It is on Stan at the moment. Mm. But Which is th- good. that's not guaranteed. So Yeah, I feel like, yeah. I'm going to keep it. Yeah, I, I'm supportive of that decision. And you can always get rid of it later if you need to. Yeah, that's it. I think that's a great idea. Thanks, Beck. <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to end this podcast like Lars the Real Girl, as heartwarming and supportive as possible. Yeah. All right. Well, you've been listening to DVD Clutter. Thanks again for <laughs> listening, everybody. Um, and we will be back in a bit. Yeah. Um, remember at DVD Clutter on all your socials. Oh, yeah. I finally updated our Instagram today, so we're back. Yeah, and it's boosted our listenership. But thanks again for listening and uh, stay safe, stay warm, stay away from each other. Yeah. And, and keep watching your old DVDs. Yeah, that's that's better yeah. than don't scratch your discs. Well, yeah, actually, that's a good one. Is that what you said last time when I poo pooed? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I like it better this week. <laughs> See you, folks. Bye. Do you like how I gave a little wave just then? I don't know why I did.